I, don't know I guess we were gone last week, so. All right. Well, let's uh, <clears throat> let's pray. We we'll get started. Lord, we do uh, thank you for this uh, church, this class, and uh, place to meet here. That's uh, safe, and Lord, it's. Uh, we, we don't know what the future holds, Lord, but we know you, you hold the future. And so we look to you for guidance this morning. I pray you speak through your servant, Jim, and just edify this group that have assembled here this morning. Uh, we know that uh, wherever two or three are gathered together in your name, that you are here in the midst. And so, Lord, we uh, <coughs> do uh, dedicate this time to you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we... Uh, want to intercede on behalf of uh, Teresa's dad. I pray for Don as he's recovering from uh, open heart surgery and pray he can uh, uh, get the treatment and uh, it'll uh, be just what he needs to make a full recovery. So we just pray for his body to be made whole and uh, Lord uh, minister to him at this time. And Lord for uh, Connie and Michael's boy, we pray we lift him up to you this morning. Uh, pray for his uh, recovery and just to help him to begin walking with you uh, more faithfully and just uh, pray for him and uh, I think his girlfriend's uh, Taya Mm -hmm. and uh, Father even for uh, Chuck Sunburn we know uh, uh, you you can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities and so I pray you'll just uh, help uh, Chuck Sunburn not to be severe or uh, cause too much pain to him and uh, Lord uh, be with us now as we uh, open your word we uh, love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> All right, I'm going to hand this off to Jim. Uh, all right. And, uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Of course he does. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, another mic. Wow. Pulled it. All right. I'm kind of dragging today. This is, uh, all right. Everybody get a handout. Yes. All right. Today, <laughs> boy, today, all right. We're going through the mysteries. I think you guys all know that now. We've been going through the seven mysteries given to the church. Um, we're on number four today, the mystery of the restoration of Israel. <laughs> I've seen Amita doing some passing notes in class. No, um, all right, today... Today's it gets it's kind of a deep subject today, so I'm going to try to keep it light. Uh, see, I'm thinking who was here last week. We had a lot of okay. Yeah, let me skip that. All right, all right. So let's look at our handout here. Let's just do a quick review. All right, we've uh, kind of feel like we're beating this to death. But what is a steward? Does anyone remember what is a Bible definition of a steward? Got a candy bar. Caretaker. That's good. Teresa got it. She's, you're quite the candy bar earner. I think every week uh, you score. Yeah, in the Bible and, and in life, a steward is someone that takes care of other people's stuff. And God has uh, called us to be stewards to take care of God's stuff because there's certain things God cares about. He cares about you know, the earth, our bodies, our spiritual well-being. And the mysteries are something that we're stewards of. And that's our, our series verse there in 1 Corinthians 4. If you're a believer in the Lord, you are a steward of these mysteries. These are something God wants you to know and understand and put them into your life. So that's a steward. What is a steward? It's a, uh, a uh, I just crossed my train of thought. It's a person that takes care of other stuff, caretaker. All right. 
What's the biblical definition of a mystery? Steve touched on it a second ago. What is a mystery that we're like we're what we're talking about here? It's Hidden in the Old Testament, revealed in the New. Teresa. <laughs> Man, she's hot today. Uh, the, the biblical definition of a mystery is something that was concealed or hidden in the Old Testament. It was described many times, many, many times, but they didn't quite get it. The key is, is when Jesus showed up and then the revelations to Paul and all things become known. So now we understand a lot of these Old Testament images and, and stories. All right, so the next three are the three mysteries that we've covered to date. The first one we covered, mystery number one, was the mystery of godliness in 1 Timothy 3.16. Does anyone want to give a just a summary of what that mystery is? The mystery of godliness. In the flesh. Teresa! Okay, stop it. <laughs> I got a whole stack. The, the, the first mystery, and it's actually called a great mystery, it's one of the two that are called great, is that God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus, Jesus was God in the flesh. And because of what he did and his, his redemptive plan of salvation, we're able to get in on that and be godly people. All right, mystery of Christ in the church. That was the second mystery in Ephesians 5 where he compares the church to a bride and, and the, the marriage relationship. Um, does anyone want to elaborate on what the mystery of the church is? Joint heirs with the Jews. Oh, Teresa. <laughs> Did you bring last week's paper or do you remember Do you have last week's paper? You're good. There you go. Good. Well, you got a good memory. Yeah. Like almost word for word. <laughs> you know how much, what you got on that clipboard there? <laughs> no, I'm really glad. I, yeah. That's encouraging that, you know, you guys are listening. Yeah, somebody's listening to me. <laughs> no, I know you guys are. Yeah, because uh, we talked about how, and, and we're going to talk on it more today, the, the Jew. When the Old Testament, you were either a Jew or a Gentile. If you wanted a relationship with God, it was through the Jew. If you're a Gentile and you wanted a relationship with God, you had to become a Jew. Jew or Gentile. Well, the church is a third new thing. It's a new creature, the church is. And uh, grafting in the Gentiles with the Jew, and then it's a new creature. We're fellow heirs with the Jews. So the promises, spiritual promises given to the Jew are now given to us. So... We'll talk more about that today. All right, last week, we talked about the mystery of Christ in you. Anyone want to give a summary on what that was all about? Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm lost on that one. All right, remember we... It was good. We talked about how man... God does everything by threes. Animal, vegetable, mineral. The three atoms. There's three of everything. Everything can be broken down into three. Man, me, you, women, we are made of three things. Body, soul, which is our, who we are, our personality, what we like, things like that, our emotions. Body, soul, and then our spirit. Spirit. And we talked about how Adam Adam started out with all three. All three were alive whenever he sinned. Him and Eve, the spirit died. 
and remain dead all through the Old Testament. The Spirit of God could could move on a person like a prophet and they would have God's Spirit with them for a little bit. And I gave a bunch of examples of when that happened. But he would leave. He couldn't stay in that body of body, soul, and spirit because of the flesh and the sin. The sin problem hadn't been taken care of yet. So whenever we, whenever Jesus came, and now we, when we ask him into our heart, he can come in and into that dead spirit and cut us loose from the body and the flesh and the soul and spirit. And we, we talked about all that. And that's all, actually, that was in the handout last week. Mm-hmm. If anyone wants last week's handout, got those up here. Yeah, so. okay. Because um, we had a small class last week. Okay, there's one there. Yeah, it's got a lot of illustrations. Uh, I tried to illustrate all that stuff. So that's basically the, the fact that we're separated from our body so that the Holy Spirit can live. Can now live in us. Christ can live in us. And the key thing with us and the believers in the New Testament is we're sealed. How you doing, Chuck? Oh, you need a handout? Yeah, a couple of you want to grab candy all the way up here. It's a long trip up here. All right. Um, in the New Testament, when the when Jesus when God's Spirit comes in us, it doesn't leave us anymore. It we are sealed now, and the Holy Spirit is the down payment, the earnest, until our bodies are are redeemed. Because remember, I, I said last week, when you accepted Christ, your soul was saved, but your body is not. But it will be someday. And that's the hope of glory that's coming. So, that is a good wrap-up. Everyone with me? Any questions on any of that to date? All right. Next page. And there's our seven mysteries listed out. And, and something that I, I should have added, I think I'll add it when I do the last mystery, is, is every one of these mysteries target specific false teaching you know I've always likened all these to the net of safety, the safety net because when you learn all these things you have a real net to protect you against false teaching mystery of godliness God is in the flesh very few faiths believe that Jesus was actually God in the flesh on the earth you know that's he's a begotten something or he's a good guy there's a lot of false teaching there Christ in the church uh, that's the whole thing with the marriage that, that the church is actually the bride of Christ and, and there's a lot of heresies I don't want to get into all those now it's British imperialism that gets caught up in some of that but Christ in you the big one with Christ in you is people that think you can lose your salvation that's a big teaching out there and I think last week we kind of, whenever I did the demo, the demo with Kevin and Bridge, we really talked about how you can't lose your salvation. You can't lose it because of what, people don't understand what it really was. So, alright, so now today, Israel's restoration is what we're going to talk about. Um, alright. This is a, I like this is one of my favorites because I, I love history, and I don't know if you guys were here or heard Brian last Sunday, 
But Brian spent about 30 minutes uh, giving a history of Israel. He talked about the three key cities, Jerusalem, Antioch, and Alexandria. Um, He did a real good job explaining the Jew in in Israel, and that's kind of where we're going to pick up on that. Here's what I think is cool. Um, if someone was to ask me just in, in, in one or two words, why do you believe the Bible? Why do you believe all this is even true? You know, I, I haven't seen any of it really. Two words. The Jew. The existence of the Jew and Israel is, is really proof it's proof to me absolutely that, uh, that this is all true. So think about it. And, and here we're sitting here in 2020, and, and a lot of things we take for granted uh, that we're just used to being around, so we don't really see the, the impact. And the existence of Israel as a nation and the Jew is one of those things. Um, you know, I read a lot of books from the 1800s, like you know, the Schofield guys and Larkin and, and a lot of that, that crowd. Way before... Israel was a nation and they all know it's coming and they predict almost to a T what's going to happen and I love reading that old stuff from the 1800s because these guys are so far removed from what really from when it actually happened that it's really cool it really fires me up um, alright so how would I say that um, think about the Old Testament the Jebusites, they're gone. The Hittites, gone. Hivites, gone. All those ites in the Old Testament are gone. The Jew's still here. He's still speaking the language, the Hebrew, that was started way back in Abraham's time. And, and the Jew was kicked out of his land in 606 B.C., about 600 years before Jesus, and he has been without a home on the earth for 2,000 years. Is a vagabond. But they've maintained to keep their, their people group and their culture and their civilization. And while all the other civilizations are long gone, the Jew is still here. Uh, and I just think that is awesome. And when you study what happened to, to bring them to where they are now, it's, just, it's a miracle that the Jews are, are still here. Uh, May 14th, 1948, they were christened as a country, and that's what they celebrate every year, so they're a little over 70 years old now. Uh, so anyway, that's all signs of the end times, things are wrapping up, you know, Trump moving the embassies from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem a few years ago, that was really cool. Um, just lots of proof. So just the, to me, the proof of the Jew being who they are is is just proof enough for me that this is all rock solid and it's going to happen. So, now, what's cool is, and we'll get into this in a second, the restoration of Israel is a a mystery that's now occurred, but we also, God wants to restore us, and we are also, it's a miracle on what he wants to do with us. So it's kind of the same thing that he did for Israel, he wants to do for us. And that's kind of what we'll, we'll get into. All right, so our mystery number four, the mystery of Israel's restoration, uh, it's kind of introduced in Romans 11.25, or, or brought up, I guess. So let's flip over to Romans 
let's see. To get the full impact, I was thinking about reading a little extra. Um, I'm going to start in verse 13. So Romans 11, verse 13. I'm going to kind of pick it up here. Because we need the context of what he's talking about here. Alright, so Romans 11, 13. Paul speaking. He's talking to the Romans here. For I speak to you Gentiles. He's talking to us here. Inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. So this is another point where Paul says he's the apostle to the Gentiles and he's talking to us. Verse 14. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. That's kind of a long way of saying I wish my own Jewish brothers would copy me and do what I'm doing so they could be saved. Verse 15. For if the casting away of them, the Jew, be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, then that thou, Gentile, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakers of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches, the original olives, and I'll explain all this in a second, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Verse 20, well, because of unbelief, they, the Jew, were broken off, and thou, Gentile, stands by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, the Jew, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. On them fell severity, because they didn't believe. But toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt also be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, they shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Verse 24. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these which be the natural branches that be grafted into their own olive tree? All right. That's a lot of, we'll cover that in a second. Verse 25. The biggin. For I would not have... For I would not brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. That's the mystery, is that they're blind. This is what Brian covered this last week. They're blind in part. So what Paul said here, he, did a lot, he, he used an agricultural example of what's going on with Israel and the church. And he's using the example of grafting. You know, my wife's a gardener, so I see grafting. I see, so I know exactly what he's talking about here. You can cut off a, a, a dead branch, or if a branch isn't producing, you can cut it off, like on an apple tree. Cut that dead branch off, and grab some other type of apple tree, like a Honeycrisp or something else. And you, you split the bark, and you put the the new stock in tape it up and it will grow into the tree 
and feed from the same root system. So in Paul's little example here, Jesus is the root. He's the root of Jesse. You know, that's all through the Old Testament. Israel is this branch that wasn't producing anymore. It was withering. So he temporarily cut it off and he grafted us in, the church, the Gentile. And so now we partake of the same blessing from the root of Jesus. And that's, that's what all he's saying here. So and then Paul gets to the end and he says, Hey, now, they were grafted off because of unbelief, so you need to stay on the, on the right path. Because they can just as easily be grafted back in, and they will be. And that's when he gets to verse 25. I would not have you, brethren, that you should be ignorant, lest you should be wise, you be arrogant about it. Blindness is in part happened to Israel. So they're going to be grafted back in. Alright, something else that's cool with this verse. I don't have time to get into all of it, but there are seven things that Paul tells us believers that we're not to be ignorant about. And two of them overlap with mysteries. And this is one of them. So there's another list of seven things. They're not mysteries. They're just something that we all need to know about that we shouldn't be ignorant of. If you've got a Bible program, you can do a word search for, like, be ignorant, and you'll see the seven things that us believers aren't to be ignorant of. So this is one of them, that Israel, God is not through with Israel. And this is a big key. So now look at verse 26. He continues on, 11:26, And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Sion the deliverer, and turn and shall turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, the Jews, when I shall take away their sins. Alright. Kind of like all the other mysteries, uh, this reminds me of an iceberg. You know, when you look at an iceberg, you see the little bit sticking out of the water. But there's a whole two-thirds of it under the water we don't see. And the restoration of Israel is, is like that iceberg. Uh, and I, I didn't want to get into the whole iceberg because everybody's eyes will roll back in their head. You might be bored. It's, pretty, it's an early Sunday morning. But, um, so I'm going to try to just kind of keep it simple. So on the next page... Uh, we kind of start kind of at the beginning. This is kind of where Brian did. But, but God made many promises to Israel all through the Old Testament. You know, Abraham, Isaac, he, he, prom- he, he, was, he was made a lot of promises. And, and I kind of listed out a few of them here. Those promises that God made to Israel, many of them were unconditional. Just like he makes unconditional promises to us that he will do something, and, and he does it. Some of the promises were conditional. So let me give you an example. God told Abraham, I'm giving your people, your descendants, this huge land mass, this, the promised land that we hear about. And you can, you can live there and worship me, and things will be just great. And it'll be like Mayberry. Everything's perfect. But, if you don't obey me and you get in there and goof around and, and, and don't follow my word, then the other nations are going to come in and kick you out. So that's kind of what happened. 
But he's still promising this land, and that land is still coming, and they're still going to occupy it. But for right now, they're not not there. Uh, you know, I might mention too when you go back and look at the land that was given to Israel, they were given from the Nile River in Egypt all the way to the Euphrates, that's in Syria, and then all the way over into Persia. But with Joshua and those guys, they only kind of took some of it. They didn't get all that God had for them. So they only took kind of a subset of the promised land that we know as Israel today. So whenever Israel is restored, it will be restored with the correct borders that God laid out. It's going to be most of the Mideast. So it's just a side note there. But Anyway, so there's a bunch of uh, promises that God made to Israel. Um, they're going to occupy this huge area of land. Big nation. They're going to all be blessed. The nations of the earth will be blessed because of the Jews. And like I say, these are unconditional promises that have yet to be fulfilled. All right. Because, well, we'll save that. All right. So then, to even further hone it down, he made a bunch of promises to King David. Israel is going to be in their land and no one's going to bother them. Uh, the Davidic covenant. For you guys going to D2, um, this is actually all good D2 stuff because uh, it's, it's kind of deep. But there was about eight times a covenant. Okay, let me back up and get my thoughts clear. A covenant is an agreement between God and man. There were about eight times in the Bible when God came down and made a covenant. Uh, usually man broke most of them. But uh, David, and, and that changed how God dealt with man. So that, that's kind of why we have Old Testament and we have all the different covenants. But And right now we're in the new covenant of, of Jesus. But I don't want to get too deep on that. But um, he made a covenant with David. Have you guys ever heard of the sure mercies of David? That's kind of a saying that's been around. But he basically told David, your descendants are going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem forever, period. And there's no sin, there's no nothing you can do to stop it. I'm going to do it. Well, that's not going on now, obviously. I mean, they got kicked out of Jerusalem and Nebuchadnezzar sacked them. But, so that is, is one of the many promises that have yet to be fulfilled, the Davidic covenant and the sure mercies of David. Um, all right, so anyway, we'll kind of leave that. Um, then at the bottom of that handout, you know, I just put a little blurb about the major minor prophets in the Old Testament wrote many prophecies about the future restoration of Israel. And I go back to my little drawing, you guys have seen this many times, where I list all of the Old Testament prophets. This was in a handout a few weeks ago, and we also covered it on Isaiah. All the Old Testament prophets seen different future things. And so whenever you're reading like an Isaiah or Ezekiel or Micah or Amos, they're all talking about future events. And almost all of those deal with the restoration of Israel. Um, You know, like the book of Ezekiel, a lot of that weird visions that he sees, that we see the wheel on the wheel, all this weird stuff that he sees, a lot of that is dealing with Israel in the coming millennium. The restoration of Israel. It may not make sense, but I'm hoping it'll make sense here in a second. But um, 
And then at the bottom, I listed some of the things that are talked about in those prophets, some, some of the characteristics of this restoration. Let, let, let me just back up. I don't want it to be confusing, but on God's timetable, we are, are the next big event on the timetable is the rapture, when, when Jesus comes for the church. And that could be hopefully any day. And that's actually the next mystery. Is we're going to talk about the rapture. So hopefully we're here. Well, hopefully we're not here. Uh, so anyway, the rapture is the next thing on the, the timetable. When we go out, that starts what's called the tribulation period, which is when God basically turns again to Israel and deals with them, deals with their sin. And that's the whole Antichrist, the mark of the beast, you know, all the vials, the trumpets, the seals, and all that spooky stuff in Revelation all happen during that tribulation period. And we're not here. We're at, we're at the judgment seat of Christ. We're at the wedding. We're getting married. So we're not here to see that. After the tribulation period, when, when Israel's spanking is done, we all come back with Christ and start what's called the millennium. Millennium is the word meaning a thousand. It's a thousand year rule of Jesus on this earth on in Jerusalem on David's throne and the millennium is the time period when these prophecies are fulfilled. The sure mercies of David, all the stuff that the Old Testament prophets talk about happen then. And what happens today... Actually, let me give you an example. Let's go to Micah. This is a good, a good example of this. The Old Testament, little guy named Micah. You remember, he's the one that had the... Uh, he had the prophecy about Jesus coming. A lot of the Christmas cards will have Micah. There's Amos, Obadiah... I'm having trouble finding Micah. There he is. He's after Jonah. Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. I gotta get drinky. I miss it. Yeah, I'm alright. Alright, Micah. Is everybody there? Micah. What this is, this is one of many, many passages in the Old Testament that that he's describing the millennium. So we're going to get a good picture here of the millennium. So let's see what this says. Micah 4, starting around verse, I'm going to start in verse 1. Micah 4, 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow unto it <coughs> and many nations shall come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of, the, of God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths for the law shall go forth out of Zion of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and he shall judge many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation. Neither shall they learn any more. 
Alright, so now that, what that is, that's a passage describing the millennium. When Jesus comes back, there's a big earthquake, Jerusalem gets split, big mountain pops up, the throne's up on the top, the temple. That's in Zechariah. You've got to compare all these verses together. So when he says the mountain of, of, of God, the house of the Lord, that's what that's at. And, you know, the mountain is always exalting something. So the, the temple is on a mountain. Jesus is on it. He's on the throne. People all over the world are coming to Jerusalem to sit at the feet of Jesus again. Uh, anyway, that, that's a millennial. And, and we're beating our swords into plowshares. Uh, I think it's funny. The United Nations building in New York has a similar verse where you know we'll beat our swords into plowshares and there'll be war no more that's all well and good but that's a millennium verse that's not for now there's more wars now than ever Um, so anyway they kind of get that out of context but what happens is religions churches people reading the bible they kind of get things mixed up and they see passages like this that we can kind of that that this is going to happen that we can do something to bring this about we just need to love each other and be good and we can you know we can all worship God and and things like that but that ain't going to happen this is a millennium verse that's going to talk about the restoration of Israel so um, people are going to live long lives again I, I listed some of the cool things about the millennium during this thousand year reign when Christ is on the earth no more wars Jerusalem's the center of the world. We go back to living long lives, like a thousand years old. Um, animals live in peace with people and each other. Animals actually become vegetarians. There's several verses in Isaiah. Isaiah 65 covers that. Which is ironic, too. You know, like the community of Christ Church, the RLDS folks, like you know, in Harrisonville even, we've got one. Their little logo is a lion and a, and a little boy and a lamb standing next to each other in peace. And that's out of Isaiah 65. And that's another millennium verse that talks about in the millennium when Jesus brings true peace to the earth. Animals will be vegetarians. The kids can play with snakes. Sheep and tigers stand together. That's what that is. So that's just getting their Bible out of context. So we see that every day. So understanding that all that is referencing the restoration of Israel. All right, I got to cook. I'm behind. All right, so the next, oh man. It's, it's uh, okay, I don't want to get too deep on here either. But if you're going into D2, and if you, if you spend any time around HBF, you know and you heard of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Okay, so here's here. I'm going to do a quick summary of this because this this applies to the restoration of Israel. The Bible, as a book, if if someone was to say, what's what's the theme of the Bible? It's not really it, the theme of the Bible is a king and his kingdom, a king creating a kingdom and and populating it with his subjects. That's what the theme of the Bible is. It's really not salvation. It's, it's not about you and I, so to speak. It's really about the king and the kingdom. And those, there's two kingdoms. And I wanted to, uh, <laughs> I wanted to draw this real quick. I, I drew it here, but uh, I don't want it to be confusing. So I'm going to try to be simple here. All right, so we got... Yeah, I'm going to draw. I'm going to kind of do my drawing here, but... 
We got the kingdom of God. Alright, this is God as the eternal being. He, he, he's God of all and he has a kingdom. The subjects are all the angels, seraphims, cherubims, uh, and people. This is a universal, it's like universe wide. It covers all the planets. It's everything we know. This is a kingdom of God. It's huge. It's massive. Everything. All the planets, all the galaxies. Alright. Well, then in the process of time, God wants to have fellowship with people. He wants a people. He wants some people to himself. So he he creates the earth. I'm going to kind of draw the earth here. Now here's the earth. And now he's going to put a kingdom on the earth. And that's going to be called the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that's the kingdom of heaven. Now here's the difference. This is dealing with the earth. The subjects are people like us. And the purpose of the kingdom is so God can have his man on the throne. There's a little crown there. God's man on the throne running the affairs of earth. So God in heaven is controlling earth, so it's called the kingdom of heaven. Okay? with me so far. Those are the two kingdoms in our Bible. There's actually eight, but these are the two important ones we're going to talk about today. Um, when Adam is on the earth, and that's why I kind of drew up my picture here, both kingdoms are on the earth. The spiritual, this is a spiritual kingdom. This is more physical, dealing with kings and subjects. Both these guys are on the earth, both these kingdoms. When Adam sinned, the kingdom of God goes out. Because remember his spirit died? The kingdom of God's gone. The kingdom of heaven, God's man on the throne and over the earth, continued on. Adam was the first one. Then Noah and on down through David and all the kings of Israel. They were the kingdom of heaven. And God had promises for these guys specific to these subjects. Uh, when when Israel lost their land and their temple gets sacked the kingdom of heaven went away and that started the times of the Gentiles which we've been in since the the book of Daniel basically Um, I'm trying to keep this relevant when Jesus came back and I drew this kind of in the center of that timeline So both kingdoms were gone. When Jesus came back, he brought both kingdoms. And that's why Jesus would always say in the Gospels, the kingdom is at hand. You've got the chance, Jews, to have kingdom of heaven start up again. Both kingdoms were at hand. So, whenever Jesus was telling his parables, he, he told... 12 parables about the kingdom of heaven and he even said the kingdom of heaven is like this and that's a kingdom of heaven parable that's mostly in Matthew 13 but he also would say but the kingdom of God is like this and it's different it's got different subjects there's a different way of getting into it different promises it's a different kingdom 
So, and there were seven of those kingdom of God parables. So it's really important to kind of understand this concept when you're reading the Gospels because Jesus is talking about both of these kingdoms. And the parable that he tells tells about that kingdom. Well, the Jews in Acts 7 with the stoning of Stephen, they, they officially reject, we don't want the kingdom of heaven right now. So the kingdom of heaven goes away. And now we're in the kingdom of God. And we are our subjects in the kingdom of God, as believers in the New Testament. Now, the rapture is going to happen any day. And when that happens, the kingdom of God goes out. You know, he who now letteth will not let. When it talks about Thessalonians, that we're the ones kind of holding back the evil of this world. When we get taken out, the evil comes in. Tribulation period starts. That's when he deals with Israel about their rejection of the kingdom. But when Jesus comes back, when we come with him, we've talked about all that before. I need a longer cable. Uh, both kingdoms come down again at the second coming of Christ. And that starts the millennium. And that's, that's when Israel picks back up with the kingdom of heaven in the millennium, in the 1K. You're stepping on your quarter, Frank. Oh, oh, pull it over. All right, that's kind of deep. I didn't, I didn't intend to go that deep, but does everyone kind of get that? It's important to, to at least be familiar with it. Actually, Steve teaches in HBI, he teaches in Matthew the, thir- the 12 parables of the kingdom. So I'm sure he could tell you all about all that. So it's just good to know. Now, what happens is the new Bibles nowadays and a lot of the new scholars, they'll say the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same thing. And they interchange them and they erase them. Yeah, and that's like Pam shaking her head. She knows better. We don't fall for that trick. They're two different things. So the restoration of Israel that Paul is talking about is when Jesus comes back, we start the millennium. All those promises that God made to Israel about the kingdom of heaven start up again. And that's... Isaiah, Ezekiel, all those prophets seen all this stuff. And it's really cool. This is a pretty wild time, the millennium. We'll be here. We'll be in glorified bodies. We won't be in physical human bodies uh, like a lot of people will. But we'll be in different bodies. Anyway, that's a cool study of the millennium of itself. The next page of the handout is, is me. It's just verbal. It's just the words of what I just said. And this you, this looks familiar. We handed this out back in Isaiah because we, we touched on it back then when we did the book of Isaiah. All right, so the next page on the handout, I thought I needed to shift gears for everybody. I didn't want everybody going to sleep or anything on that one. What's that mean for us, all this kingdom of heaven stuff? Well, you know, what, what's that mean? Here's what it means. God promised Israel things and he's going to fulfill it. God promises us things, and he has promised us some just marvelous things. And I just kind of quickly made a little chart of some of the cool things that he promises us. He's promised to restore Israel, and he's going to do it. We already see that happening. He promises us salvation. 
you know, I put I just put the verses so we have them to look at. If thou if thou confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou might be saved. No. Thou will be saved. Thou shalt. I mean that's a promise that if you do, if you confess with the Lord that He's Lord and, and ask him in your heart and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, in verse 13 of Romans, uh, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord might be saved. No, you are saved. Shall be saved. He promises us forgiveness. Uh, you know, the first John 1 John 1.9 that we talked about in here is that if, you, if we all sin, every day I do something silly and stupid. So I, I claim John 1 9 all the time. You know, forgive me for that, Lord. I shouldn't have, you know, done that or tailgated that guy, whatever I do. I got road rage terrible. I've, I've told you guys that. Uh, so anyway, he promises to bless us. That's something we forget about. Some of these I think we forget about. Um, I like Psalm 128. If you fear the Lord, and I think most everyone in here does, this is kind of home, folks. Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord and walks in his ways. We're blessed. We have a lot of spiritual blessings. That's not physical things necessarily. But promises is peace. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. Uh, that's the whole um, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Peace up, God. Passes all understanding. Anyway, God gives us peace. He promises protection. Uh, yeah, Psalm 37, 4. The angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear him. That's pretty cool. That's a cool promise. Promise of joy. Philippians, remember we talked uh, when we covered the book of Philippians. It's all about joy. And if you want joy in your life, it's very simple. You've got a throne in your heart. If Jesus is on that throne joy will just come out. That's just a, a byproduct of having him in your heart. Comfort, hope, you know, you guys see the table there. Glorious future. We have an awesome future coming, especially when our bodies get saved at the rapture. We get our new glorified bodies. Uh, you know, I just put a few verses there talking about some of those promises. A few months ago, or maybe it's been a year ago now, I handed out the little Bible promise book. Uh, there's thousands of promises to us as believers, and it's so encouraging. I keep this on my desk at home, and I'll just flip through it sometimes because we forget the things God has promised us. You know, and uh, it's we need to remind ourselves sometimes of just these awesome promises that we have, and um, that's what I try to do on this this handout here. Now, the last one, the promise to restore the years the locusts have eaten. This is my favorite, hands down. Whenever I think of restoring and restoration of my own life, I always, I love this passage. We talked about it when we went through the book of Joel. It's an amazing principle and it's an amazing promise for us as believers today. And and here's what it is. I'm going to recap it because I'm running out of time. But in the book of Joel, God's people have been uh, plexed or vexed, I guess is the word, with locusts eating up all their their agriculture, their corn and stuff. Every year, you know, they get ready to, to be fruitful and they're going to have all this corn or whatever, and the locusts show up and, and take everything. And 
you know, they're, they're starving, they're in a bad way, and God makes them a promise, and he tells them in Joel 2.25, he gives them a four-part plan that if you will turn to me, pray, start going to church, plug in and, and get fellowship with other people and, and put me on the throne of your heart, he promises them and he promises us that he will restore all that we have lost that the locusts have eaten. All right, so what's that mean? Uh, that's kind of a high level of it. So on the next page, it, it, it's, it's time we spent away from God. So on the, on the next page I listed, and this is what we covered in Joel, all of us need restoration in our lives. You know, I'm 55 years old, and I've had... I've had years of my life, months and years, where I've been in one of these categories, multiple categories. I've pretty much been in all these categories at, at one time or other, and, and some of you probably have too. And when we're, when we're in one of these categories, that's called locust years. It's years that we're unproductive, we're not satisfied. And it's time that the devil and that we've allowed steal from us. All right, so like the first, as an example, the fruitless years. You know, there was a period in my 30s when I put God on the back burner, the back shelf, and I concentrated on my career. And I got out of church and I was unfruitful. And so all those years, those locust years, I wasn't serving the Lord. And think of the people I could have led to Christ or the difference I could have made for the kingdom that I didn't because I wasted my years. God promises to restore what I lost if I follow his plan. And then the second one, painful years. You know, my dad died. For a year, I was kind of out of commission. I was really upset. A lot of us have had deaths in the family. It's very hard to deal with. So we've got to remember to keep keep the Lord first in our heart and then look to him for comfort to get through that, not pull away. Um, selfish years. Years I played church. That's kind of when I was first saved. Took me a while to get plugged in. Um, let me get down here. Loveless years. I've been. I'm fortunate. I haven't been around divorce or things like that. My parents were were married for almost 50 years, but you know, I know there's problems in homes that split things up, cause strife in the family, that can cause us to pull away from God and be distant from God. See, any of these can cause us to be distant from God, unproductive and unfruitful. Uh, rebellious years. Sometimes young kids, 18, 19, 20, whatever just rebel and they they spend years out in the world sowing their wild oats Uh, I didn't do so much of that but I know people that have those are wasted years those are years the locusts ate from them misdirected dead end situations Um, I kind of think of that as there's a lot of people that go to churches that are taught that aren't taught the bible like we are we are so blessed to be sitting here at HBF you know, the doctrine in the Bible that we learn here, that I've learned here, you know, it's good stuff. It's steak. It's good quality stuff. And there, But there's a lot of people across the country and across the world that aren't exposed to this good teaching, and they're misdirected. They're sincerely doing things, but they're sincerely wrong. And that's sad. So 
those, those are years that God can, can make up again. And then the Christless years, number seven, any, any year that you don't know the Lord is, is a year of locusts that, that locusts have taken. So, what's this mean? So then, again, restoration. We can restore cars, and I, and I do. We can restore homes. We can restore lots of things. But time that we lost... That, that I lost personally when I was goofing around doing my own thing, the, those years that the locust ate, time is something that we can't restore. But God promises to in Joel. And he gives them a four-part plan. I, I didn't list it. But basically, it's by drawing close to him and deepening your relationship with Christ, plugging into your church, learning the Bible, Getting fellowship with people, he really encouraged the, the the people in Joel to assemble yourselves together. You know, the whole iron sharpeneth iron. We all need to be here every Sunday and encourage each other. Things like that will allow God, and He promises them, and He promises us that He will restore the things we lost during those locust years that we were goofing around. Does that make sense? So just like Israel, they lost it for for time. But God's going to restore them in the millennium, and they're going to get everything that he promised them. Same with us. If if you goofed up and you've done things you shouldn't have and and you lost it, you can get it back. God promises that he'll do. He'll restore you just like he did Israel. and I think that's about it. I just listed some other promises I just I just had to. I love the second Peter one four. How we're giving we are given exceedingly great and precious promises. So many promises. So so when I look at Israel and how God restored them, it's always encouraging to me that He wants to and will restore me if I'm obedient. So that's how we apply that mystery. The restoration of Israel, the restoration of us. Standing on his promises. Christ my king. Any questions? That one's kind of deep. Tried to keep it light. Good? All right. That's good. Thanks, Jim. Hey, uh, if you would, grab your Bibles. and I want to show you one cross-reference in uh, 2 Corinthians. Before we close up, we got about five minutes. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Okay. Well, you can go ahead and close this out. I'll keep this. I'll keep this one. All right. Second Corinthians three. And uh, this is just my.